You ever hear the phrase, the tools of the trade? The tools of the trade. That the thought is, if there's a craft or a skill or a trade, there are associated tools that go along with that craft. So a carpenter, carpentry is his craft, and there are tools that go along with the trade. Likewise, we might even say a doctor, um, you know, the medical world is his craft, but there's a stethoscope and a little hammer for the knee. Those tools go along with the trade. And certainly, uh, we understand that you need to have the right tools for the trade, but I sometimes think we get, it, we get a little overboard. I think especially men do this. We uh, sometimes are all about the tools. We kind of hope that if we get all the tools, we will wake up and become tradesmen. You know, so someone fancies the notion of being a great golfer, so they go out and they buy the whole golf set. You know, the shoes, they have the look, they buy all the little trinkets that I don't even know what they do. They have things that fix grass and things that fix holes and they all hang all over their big fancy bag and the bag has individual Disney characters and all the clubs and graphite and all of this, but they really don't, they're really not as good as the tool. And then they swing and the ball, you know, goes into the water and they look at their club, like the, like the tool, you know, I need to get another club, as though it's not them, it's the tool. And it's important to notice there is a trade, there is a skill, there is a craft in all, all different areas of life, but there's a difference between the trade and the tools. You can't simply make a great carpenter by buying him a bunch of good tools. And I want you to have that thought kind of with you, like the fact that a stethoscope does not make a doctor. And as we go into the scriptures, as we look in, in Proverbs 22, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to have that idea, just kind of follow us along. Okay, so we're in the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. And this morning, we'll be focusing on one verse, really. Proverbs 22, verse 6, which is a well-known proverb. It would be familiar to many of you. And it says this, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, this, uh, let me start and, and just deal with one misconception about this verse right up front. Some people have taken this proverb and received it as a promise from the Lord. Like the Lord is saying, if I train the child in the way he should go, then, then the Lord will take care of the rest. You see how that could be done? As though the Lord is saying, if you do that, then I'll do this for your child. And I just want to say right up front, it's a proverb. It's not a promise. Proverb teaches us principles. So it's, it's an expression of, of the way of life, um, but it's not promising you anything. And some, so I'm, I'm saying this because some families, uh, will, parents will, will seek to raise their children well, and then their kids will go wayward, and the thing which once gave them hope now gives them anxiety. Like, well, did I not raise my child well? Was there something wrong with how I raised my child? And there's all of this because in their mind it was a promise and it's not happening. Or they may have a misplaced hope, like, well, he'll come back. He'll come, the child will come back to the way because I raised him well. And, and really, none of those things are part of a promise here. It's just, it's teaching about how life works. 
Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, it's a short and sweet passage, but um, it actually is, it has some challenging, there's some challenging meaning behind the words. And what I want to do is I want to take a little while, I want to unpack uh, three expressions in this verse, kind of imagine some of the implications they have for us as parents, or for those that are in some varying degree of parenting, whether you're before kids or you're after kids, um, that just reflect on the meaning of it. And then we're going to turn and say, well, what does the world say regarding uh, this idea. So if you look at the verse, the first word I want to draw your attention to is the first word, train. Train. In the Hebrew, uh, especially if it was speaking, if this word was being used with an inanimate, speaking of an inanimate idea, the word might very well have been translated dedicate. The word means dedicate or initiate. It also means train. It's not an incorrect translation. But to understand train better, um, it's coming out of an idea of dedication. So the temple was dedicated with this word. A house, if you were going to build a house and lay its foundations, you might initiate it with this word. That's the idea that's uh, comes out, come, is sitting behind the word train. And the, the, I, the, the bigger idea, it might be a little hard to appreciate the verse if it said dedicate because we don't know quite what to do with that. But the heart of the meaning here is is that the, the training that we're talking about here has the instate of the person in mind. Okay, so it's not, we're not simply training them to do something. We're not, we're not simply dealing with an isolated event or kind of going through drills or routines or following a pattern of behavior. We're not, that's not what we're doing. Is the train here has the instate of the child at my, in mind. That's, that's what's behind this word train. In other words, as a parent, when this word train sits, you're being invited to train with this with the notion of who your child should will ultimately be as the backdrop, as the motivator, as the way of setting direction and guidance for you. As you're trying to imagine, uh, kind of in your spiritual imagination, who is my son or daughter? Who are they growing to be? Who, who does God want them to grow to become? And then you're training to that point. That's kind of what's at, at work here. The second word that contributes to this is the word child, which means child. Um, it, means, it can mean infant. It can mean uh, little kid. It can mean newborn. It can mean adult. It very likely, in many cases, means like middle-aged adolescent. In Scripture, it's been used to describe a 30-year-old man, Joseph. Joseph was a kid. And I think it sounds strange, but this is how it works. You guys, we do the same thing in our own time. There's times when we will refer to people that are adults but younger than us as kids. And not in a way of putting them down. It's just a natural, our natural proclivity is, oh, let's have the college kids over. You know, wait, we're not kids. And, and they're not, you're not kids. But there's this notion of, of kind of subordinate stage of life. 
And so there's times I could even be at a men's breakfast at the church, sitting at a table with some old guys. And I'm going to say that because they could turn around and go, you're just a kid, right? If I complain about a pain in my neck, <laughs> whatever, kid, you don't know anything about age yet, right? And it could even be done in a respectful way, right, but, or a, a more serious way. But you understand how that is. This, this word that's being used as child here is, is re- to the heart of the word is really expressing Someone over whom you've been placed. And you're shepherding them along the way. Which, what I mean to say is, is it is not like this verse expires when they're eight years old. Or when they're 10, or when they're 12, or when they're 20, even. There's good young men and women who still, in 20 or 30, or even 40, want to know, how do I transition into the next stage of life well? And, and that, that would fit here. I think they used child, by the way, because of the second half of the verse. And when he grows old, he will not turn from it. And so it expresses, well, the child must be young now. And then we round out this, this, the front end of this meaning here with the, word, uh, the phrase, in the way he should go, which a little more literally is according to his will, according to his way, excuse me, according to his way. And the notion is, is that there is significant conversation around this, but the notion that's alive here is, again, this presupposition that you understand the way that the person should go and you're taking them that way. You're raising them in a path. You are a master craftsman. Think of it this way. You, you as the parent know the craft of life and you're raising the child in that path and you know the path and you're being encouraged to, to take that child there. You're, you understand. You're not taking them to where you are because all of us regret at some level where we are. Don't we all wish we were in a better place? Is that natural? We're taking them to where they ought to go, which hopefully is a better place. I mean, healthy parenting desires that the child would not arrive where you are, but the child would arrive at a better, that they would be more like the Lord. I mean, a good parent desires one day to be in the shadow of a great child who's just grown and blossomed. And, and the teaching is, is encouraging us that way, both in the way it uses train, train in a dedicated sort of way, both in the way that it uses child. Oh, by the way, child has an additional background to this. Child could also be the station of life that a person's in, like the station of office, like a squire to a knight. The squire would be a child. You see that? So, so look at this. A squire is not yet a knight, but will be a knight and the Hebrew would allow that to be what we call child. Just like apprentice and master, that, that, that progressive notion of here is someone who is eventually going to be that, but is not yet that, and that's, this is the word they use. So there's other words for children and kids. There's other words for train, but they're using words in this, in this verse that all have an end state in mind, an oughtness about the path that the kid ought to go. 
And the Lord is turning to us and saying, you, you should know where they ought to be. Take them there. That's, that's the heart of the verse. Some would say, well, what this means is to teach them the moral way, teach them right and wrong. And I'd say certainly that's true, but that's pretty narrow. I think it's deep, more deep, it's deeper than that. And I think 22, verse 6, would, is not, should not be reserved to that. Some would say what it means is you should teach them like how to, who to, be, how to become, uh, who they're going to be in a professional way. Like if they're good in math, encourage them in math. And I would say, well, we all know that that's true in life. I just think that this, it would be wrong to make this verse narrowly about that. Some people will say, what it's actually saying is, is you should train a child up according to his bent, his bend, how he is, who he is, who he or she is. Like train your son or daughter along the grain of their personhood rather than running across the grain and, and just always being frustrating, which I think, again, every parent would say, well, we agree, but I don't think it's, it's narrowly that. I think it is kind of a sum or, or a derivative of these ideas, which is this, that we should purposefully be raising our child's personhood towards a known destination. Maybe we don't know everything about it, but we ought to have a goal as we raise them. just like a master tradesman knows how to raise up an apprentice. He's raising that apprentice in the skill. So here's some questions for you just about this. Just yeah, These are the questions that have been, I've, I'm going to share with you what's been beating me up all week. That's what I'm going to do. Do you raise your children with, the, with their end state in mind? Or do you just deal with the present moment? I just deal with the present moment. All week, I've been trying not to deal with the present moment. I have failed on every pop quiz I got. Like invariably in the moment, all I'm worried about is the infraction or, or the issue. You did that wrong. And then what ends up happening is I'm... What's useful about this is when you walk away, it allows the Lord to come back and work on you as a parent. Because what I've been observing now is, is when I'm interacting in a moment of discipline, that I'm just as concerned to make sure the child knows who I am as I am about the incident itself. It's like I need to, I'm the dad, I'm the boss, I'm, I'm whatever it is, all of that's coming out. Whereas in this notion, in 22 verse 6, the, the thought that should be driving discipline and raising is who they will one day be. And unless that's kind of a pervasive way that we think, in the moments of discipline, I think it will pitter out into thin air because we're in, under pressure and because they have a chance to speak in and, and share their dysfunction with us. And it makes everything hard. But do you even do you think about disciplining it with regards to where you're trying to raise the child or who you're trying to raise the child to be? That's the first question. And then I'll, let me share this conviction. I have been convicted, and I'm, I imagine I'm not alone here, that when I disciple my children, 
that I do not give them the dignity that I ought to give them um, as if I were raising them to be a son of God, a co-heir with Christ, and a saint in the kingdom. Those, that is a high office that we're raising children to be. Is the children I'm raising are growing into the kingdom and will, in the final stage, be my equals in heaven, I imagine. My elders. And, I mean, isn't the hope, isn't the hope that we raise men and women of God that just change, that, that are just to be marveled at in the Lord? And this, this idea of when you shepherd, have their end state in mind, reminds me of give them the dignity of what you're trying to make them rather than kind of hammering them down with the negativity, which may discourage them from becoming the very thing you're trying to get them to. I think of it this way. You ever notice professional, base, you know, professional athletes can give birth to professional athletes? Now, certainly there's genetics about this, but there's something else, right? They grow up knowing I can do that. Right? That, you know, kids born in military families do things military. And, that, and over here, you know, kids who, whose parents were politicians do that. And lawyers give birth to lawyers. Doctors give birth to doctors. These, there's, there's, there's this notion that kids, when, when it's in their world and, and, and they're being marinated in the idea of this is something that I can do, they can be pushed towards it. They can be attracted to it. It's just this idea. This is, this is the question that I've been having to ask myself is, is, in my shepherding and discipline of my children, am I encouraging them toward, am I, are they rising to the occasion or am I simply critiquing them? Yeah, it's a conviction out of this verse that I want to offer you. So these are the, uh, the implications, I think, of this verse, is that we are raising our children with their in-state in mind, that in, in our spirits, we know what Tommy or Sally ought to look like in the most, in, right, in the most profound ways, not what they're going to do with their life, not their job, not their career. By the way, that's what we spend all of our time on, if we're not careful, is college career issues, and there's, there's a whole person beneath that. And down here, we do know we want them to be honest. We want them to work hard, to look for the best in people, to care about those who don't have things. We, there's a lot of things that we know we want for our children. And this is it's an encouragement of the verse to say, you know that, and you are the craftsman that the Lord has placed them under. So apprentice them well in that direction. So that's what the Lord says. This is, this is what the world says, right? If the world were going to write their Proverbs, this would be their response to this verse. They would say, rather than purposeful, dedicated training, training towards an end state, the world would say, that's not how we raise our children. The world would say, we raise our children by giving them opportunities. That's how you raise a child. This is, in our culture, this is the fad. The fad is if you love your child, you give them opportunities. Opportunities, this is how you make it sound noble, is I just want to give them something that I never had. You give them opportunities. 
You let them play a sport. You let them play an instrument. You let them go to band camp. You let them go to summer camp. You let them go over here. to right? And the more suburban, the more affluent that the community gets, the more the opportunity has an, opp- has an opportunity to speak and to tempt. And so what ends up happening is we end up giving our, we raise our children with different opportunities because the world is saying, look, you don't know who they're supposed to be. How could you know that, the world would say. And you're not supposed to project your belief system on the child. That is, that's getting in the way. What you're trying to do is to equip the child to journey on their own path of self-discovery. So the best thing that you can do is give them the tools for the decision-making. What they're saying, the Lord is saying, you are the craftsman teaching the trade. And the world is saying, no, you give them the tools and they'll learn it. And there's this entire shadow of doubt that is cast upon parents as to what do they even have the right or mandate to teach. To the point where you have perfectly good Christian families who are saying, well, what I, I don't want to project my faith on my child. What I want to do is I want to teach my child to think. Well, I think we've, emphasized, we've overemphasized one at the great expense and cost of the other. Of course People want their children to think. Don't you want them to think the right thing? The world would say, no, no, you give them the tools and they make their own decisions to the point now, to the point now with, within our time, if it is not already happening in schools, we are told you should not tell Tommy that he is a boy. I just want to show you the irony of this is no, Tommy decides whether Tommy is a boy or a girl. And then we celebrate it. What we want to do is equip Tommy to make that decision. We want to give him enough experiences to come around him with experiences so then Tommy can make the decision as to whether Tommy is a boy or a girl. I mean, that is what's before our culture. I just want you to see the end point, the point where the snake ends up biting its own tail. That This thought run amok. We are supposed to give our children opportunities, the world says. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overspeak something in a second. So I'm purposely overspeaking uh, for effect. And then I'm going to trust that you can kind of walk it back like a, in an appropriate way for you. This is my, my warning label. Um, obviously... I would confess that good parents want the best for their children. So in light of that, in light of the fact that obviously I think that good parents desire the best for their child, and in light of the fact that obviously opportunity has a role in that, the trade does in fact have tools. That in order to become something, they need to learn and learn through things. Obviously there's a role for opportunity. So I'm not ignorant of all that, but in light of that, I should say that I reject the notion of parenting by opportunity entirely. So I'm, I'm over-speaking it. This notion that we parent through opportunity, what it ultimately means is, is you commute your child from one event to the next event while other people raise them. If you're sitting in the bleacher, 
Are you parenting? Now you got to walk it back. I, I sit in the bleacher, and there's times that I'm parenting, but there's times that I'm sitting in the bleacher checking email. This is why opportunity parenting must be rejected, I believe, by the church. One, the first reason is, is because opportunities, if we, we speak about opportunities this way, then we are withholding from the poor the ability to raise their children well, which is not of the Lord. We must reject any, any, any intrinsic value in something that is unaffordable because God loves the poor. What I'm saying is, is there is no intrinsic value of parenting in Disney World. There's nothing in Disney World that you have to give your children to be a good parent because everybody can't go to Disney World. So we must reject it. I mean, if you kind of play that principle out, you, you, you see that either God loves only the wealthy or this is a lie. And the second reason we reject this is because everything is, a, everything is an opportunity. Going to Disney World is an opportunity, and we talk about it that way. I just want to give my kid an opportunity. But not taking your children to Disney World is an opportunity. I just deeply yearn the opportunity of not taking my children to Disney World. <laughs> why, why can't that be an opportunity? Do you realize everything that happens, if you get a flat tire on the side of the road, you just got an opportunity. If, you want, if your child wanted to go to the beaches of Spain in the summer to nominally practice their language immersion skills in Spanish, but you say, no, you have to cut grass and babysit, guess what? You gave them two opportunities. That was only one. <laughs> right? Everything is an opportunity. This is the issue of we give we, the world says give them the skills and the tools and the experiences and they'll learn. And the notion is no, no. You, you lead with the trade. You teach them in light of who they ought to be, and then you give them the appropriate opportunities and the appropriate experiences to bring them to who they're supposed to be. And that can happen with rich or with poor and goodness, sickness and in health, all of those things, right? All of those things are opportunities to raise our kids. We play charades. That's free. Everything is an opportunity. Just to go one step farther, um, if you are financially well off and or have a single child, I believe this will be an even greater temptation to your life. If you have so much, enough means that that wall, you know, that door is never shutting, then the, the, there's always a question of, well, why shouldn't I do this for my child? Because I can afford to do it, and I love the child. So that's there, right? When, when means are an issue, then you go, well, it ain't going to happen. It isn't that I lo- don't love you, but it ain't going to happen. So that's the first door that's never quite shut if you have enough funds. And then the second door that is hard to shut is if you only have one child because now they're the sole foc- they can become the sole focus of the life of the family. And so there's only one place to pour your finances and attention and effort. And so that becomes an area where all you want to do is give them the opportunities and experiences. But we must still reject the notion 
Whether you have one child or 10 children, you're still trying to raise them to become a specific sort of person in the Lord, and that's the goal. This week, somebody asked, what's a practical way then that I filter which opportunities I give my child and which opportunities I don't? And we said, oh, no, that's a really good question. We thought about it, we visited, and, and this is what I would say. As you're considering an opportunity for your child, you should ask yourself, what is the goal here? What's the What's the developmental purpose of this opportunity? In other words, baseball. Just call it baseball. If I'm going to give little Tommy baseball, why am I putting Tommy in baseball? Is it because Tommy loves baseball, that he's addicted to baseball? Well, maybe that's a reason to put Tommy in baseball. Maybe it's a reason not to put Tommy in baseball, depending on who you're trying to raise him to be. Right? There's, a, there's that notion with all parents. I know that little Freddie loves to play Xbox. At some point, you have to say, enough Xbox, because you're going to become so narrowly focused, and, and a, you're gonna, a, there's going to be attrition in other areas of your life. So there's a, a parent has to say, enough of a thing, or once you try a thing, maybe you want little Tommy to play baseball because he doesn't do anything with other kids. And you think, he just needs to get out on the field and understand all the things of winning and losing and getting along with other kids, right? But in all of those occasions, those are the questions we ought to be asking. Not, well, everybody's doing baseball. All his friends are doing baseball. Not, well, my, you know, my girlfriend, she's, her son's doing baseball, and her girlfriend and her son, they, they all do it, and they sit on the bleachers and they talk about baseball. So we guess we do baseball. What's the purpose? I mean, there's a, there's, a re, there's a possibility, by the way, that little Tommy does baseball because you wished you were a good baseball player. Come on, ask it. I mean, does the kid really need to be that good at piano? Are, are you possibly living out yourself in them? Are you possibly making them who you are, not who they ought to be? But the world would say, no, you, you, you don't ask those questions. You don't have a right to ask those questions, the world would say. The world would say, it seems pretty dogmatic and arrogant of you to assume that you know what your child is supposed to become. Just give them the tools. And to which I would ask, and I didn't with this question, is that how the Lord deals with us? The world would say, what you need to do is equip your kids and then sit idly by and allow them to discover themselves. Does the world, by the way, sit idly by and let your children discover themselves? So they want you to sit idly by. Is that what the Lord does? Did the Lord sit idly by? Did the Lord kind of give mankind enough things to figure it out and then just stop and say, okay, well, I'm not going to... They'll figure it out. That's, that's absolutely not what God has done. He gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. He gave us the story, how he shepherded his people out of Egypt and into the promised land and around the wilderness and back into the promised land and through the promised land and through the kings and through the judges and through the exile and all the way back to the repatriation and then through Christ and then through the church. 
again and again and again, it shows not simply that the Lord is about giving us some experiences and opportunities, but rather that the Lord is about taking us somewhere, that he presupposes who we are to be, and he brings us there. Why? Because he is our father, and we are his children. It's parenting. He knows who we should become, and he gives us the kind of opportunities that are important on the way. And are those opportunities scuba diving in the Caribbean? No. They're flat tires on the side of the road, and they're lost jobs, and they're sickness, and they're confusion, and they're good things too. But they're things that you and I aren't really asking for. It's because the Lord's not giving us what we want. He's giving us what we need in light of who he's making us to be. Because he is our father, and we are his children. Is the Lord quiet about the way we should go? No. He showed us the way. He foretold the way. He promised the way. He described the way. He sent his son who walked the way and then turned to his disciples and said, I am the way. Because he is our father and we are his children. The Lord wants to raise us in the way we should go so that as we grow old, we will not turn from it. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I lift up all the families represented here, those in in front of children, those who are reflecting in their empty nest about their children, waiting to be grandparents of grandchildren. Lord, I even lift up those here who are without children and frustrated by the fact that you have not given them that opportunity. Instill in us a faith, Lord, that you are making us who we want to be and that that is our charge with our children. Lord, make each, each family here brave enough to, to draw their children into the truth, even if they have to share mistakes of their own life, even if it involves... Uh, confession and humility, Lord, we know those things are from you. Lord, I pray that we would be able to give our children dignity in the way we shepherd them. Help us, Lord, not in our anger to beat them down, but to uh, bring them to the right place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.